You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Let's go. No one is to blame for your future situation but yourself. If you want to be successful, then become successful. And this is from Jamin Shah. No one is to blame for your future situation but yourself. If you want to be successful, then become successful. To our loyal listeners, been with us 17 years that we've been on the air, starting with us on the radio, on that smooth jazz station, Rainbow Soul with Neil Blake, over to our podcast on Blog Talk. Radio, I just want to thank you and welcome you to another awesome show. We have a wonderful guest on deck for you. If this is your first time ever catching off the shelf, people tune in from all over the world on different apps and platforms, I just want to let you know that you are listening to the Winning Book Podcast off the shelf. And welcome to April the 8th. It's raining here on the, in the, in the, where I live on the, in the southeastern part of the United States. But it's still a beautiful, beautiful day, right? So welcome to this Saturday, April the 8th show. Before I introduce our guest to you, I'm asking you how good of a mystery sleuth are you. I was watching some mysteries just the other night, and I love, like, Columbo. If you love mysteries, and you just want to figure out, this one show, I wasn't really, like, crazy about it, but I wanted to know what this guy had done. <laughs> I kept fast-forwarding and watching. I had to know. If you're somebody who just loves a mystery and you can figure it out, whether it's a play, it's a movie, some songs are written like a mystery, and like, what is that? What really happened? Or a book then I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. Another reason that I think you would absolutely love Love Pour Over Me is if you value love itself, particularly relationships, and how we all influence each other. Even if you live on an island, none of us is an island. We impact each other, everything around us, the, the animals, everything, nature, we're all, it's all connected. We all impact each other, but there are there's there's a guy. He goes to college. He's a track phenom on his way to the Olympics. Him and his father. His father has alcoholism. They have a complicated relationship. He goes to college and meets. I mean, this is the woman he's supposed to be with, but he suffered a lot in his in his childhood. He meet, but he meets these four friends, and they are friends for life. But there's a mystery with one of them, with what one of those friends has done in his past that comes back. But if you love even a good love story, what happens to Raymond and Brenda, oh, my gosh, the, the love that just holds up. If you like mystery and you, you value relationships and a good love story, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. Today you can get it in ebook or in paperback. And it's available Barnes & Noble, Amazon, indie bookstores, etc. And if you don't see it on the shelf, just tell the clerk you want to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can order you a copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. Drum roll, drum roll, and now let us go and meet today's special off-the-shelf guest. And today's guest is Michelle Brown. And Michelle, she loves poetry. She's an empowerment speaker. Love that. And she has a passion for helping others. She graduated from Fordham University with a bachelor's degree in business administration. She is mom to a wonderful 12-year-old son and makes her home in Texas. She's the author of the books Finding My Voice Through the Words of My Father and Forgiveness, How to Open the Door for Love. Check her out. Check Michelle Brown out online at Michelle. I hope I'm doing this right. If not, she corrects me. I have MichelleUBrown.com, and that's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-U, B R O W N dot com M I C H E L L E U B R O W N dot com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, Michelle. 
Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Denise. I really appreciate being here on your platform. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Yeah, we are excited to hear what you have to share with us this morning. Now, the first few questions I ask every guest to give our listeners a little backstory on the guest before we start jumping in to their books. So to kick it off this morning, Michelle, please tell off-the-shelf <laughs> listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up. Sure. I grew up, and excuse my voice, it's a little raspy, but I grew up in um, Bronx, New York City. I was born and raised in New York. Um, and growing up, you know, uh, it was a, a, a poverty, a life of poverty. You know, my mother made best and did what she did, you know, to try to, you know, feed us and support us. I'm the youngest of five children. Um, but growing up there was, you know, some trauma. I grew up with some trauma, but I also grew up with some joy, right? Because one thing about my mom, you didn't really know growing up that she was poor um, because she made it look like you wasn't. So um, I grew up, you know, um, without having my dad, which is part of uh, my story that we're going to get into today. But I grew up, you know, without having my dad in a single-parent household, um, my siblings, my older brothers, and most of their time and incarcerated so a lot of times it was just me and my, my sisters. Um, my mom ends up, you know, making way for herself and working, um, landing a job with the telephone company, and she ended up working. And, you know, life got a little bit sweeter for us, you know, a little bit more money. Um, so I began to uh, uh, apply myself and, and, you know, go through life knowing that I had to go to college and to make it out of my situation. You know, I just, you know, put my head into college. Um, so I would say overall growing up was hard, um, but it also had that those moments of, of joy because you had, you know, family um, to make it the best of what the circumstances were. So it was a lot of pain, disappointment, you know, heartache and, you know, rejection, trauma, all that stuff that, you know, brought me here today to be writing about the story and, and sharing it. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much um, sums up my childhood and how I grew up. Okay, in the Bronx, and people think in the Bronx, too, like you said, there were good times. You're not that far from Manhattan, and you got to go mm -hmm. into New York, and I'm sure all those experiences. <laughs> New York City is a place where millions of people come come to visit uh, every mm -hmm. year, so, you know, the, the the mixture. Now, when you were a kid, when you were a little girl, Michelle, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you dream of becoming? <laughs> I thought I was going to be an actress. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I thought I was going to be on on TV, you know, because that was, I, I noticed, like, growing up and watching all those shows when you were a child, like, you know, it was a way of escape from what your reality was. So um, at first I thought I wanted to be an actress. Then as I got into, like, middle school, like, sixth and seventh grade, I was like, I want to be a lawyer. Like, I wanted oh. to be a lawyer. Then I'm like, <laughs> then I'm like, that's too, um, difficult as I got older. I changed so many times, but I can remember the first desire that I had of saying, oh, I want to be that was an actress. I wanted to be like an actor, for real. Okay. And then that just shifted. <laughs> you, and several people we've had on those guests, they say as they got older, their, what they, their dream of what they wanted to become continued to change. Now, who or what inspired you to pursue writing? What birthed your love for books? Poetry really birthed my love. Again, um, it was another way of escaping from me, for me, from what my reality was. Right. So I remember when I was young, I believe like maybe around ten to twelve, somewhere around me. I can't go back, but I wrote like my first poem. I used to write poems, and in the Bronx, like as if you know, like I grew up. I'm an 80s baby. I was born in 82. So in the Bronx, it was a big culture on hip-hop, right? So it was a big culture on hip-hop. And remember, I had two older brothers. So um, one of my older brothers, um, he used to rap, right? And the kids from the neighborhood or his friends, they used to come into the house. like. So I remember coming home after school, and when I would go home, my brother would be there in his room with his friends, and they would have on instrumentals, and they would just be rapping and rapping and rapping and freestyling and all this stuff, right? So I remember, like, wanting to do that, too. Like, I'm like, ooh, I like the sound. I like the words that rhyme. 
and I remember writing little um, raps. And I used to, you know, with my one of my friends, my childhood friends, we used to, like, have our own freestyles because we always wanted to go into the room with my brothers and, you know, rap, right? So that never really happened. But I noticed that I liked the rhyming of words and the words and, mm. you know, how to, you can use it. And so I, you know, wrote, began writing poetry, maybe around, like I said, between 10 or 12, I could have written my first poem. And then it began to you know, be me painting pictures of my environment and, and escaping my environment. So I would write about, you know, the the poverty. I would write about the, the, the disagreements or the trauma within the families. But it was always, like, me escaping it, like painting the picture, but then um, escaping it in some kind of way. So then it became, like, even, like, um, long poems. It turned into long poems. Then it turned into, like, little short mini things, like, like I was telling stories, you know, but I was using um, poetry to do it. And that kind of like, you know, birthed that love to be able to rewrite and, and rewrite my, my narrative or what I was going through or what I was seeing and, and, and growing up around. So it, it, it birthed from that. But later on, I found out that my father also was a poet. So it was oh. in me. To, <laughs> it was in me, I guess, you know, to write um, poetry um, because that's something that he also did, which I found out later, you know, later on once, you know, correspondence started to come in ah. from him in prison. Interesting. Now, that kind of segues into my next question that I was going to ask you. Can you please give our listeners an overview of your book, Finding My Voice Through the Words of My Father? Sure. So um, Finding My Voice Through the Words of My Father is sort of like, I like to call it like a poetic memoir. Um, the book is literally me finding my voice through the words, the actual words of my father. So um, what happened, what birthed this book is I um, didn't have my father. When he came back into my life, um, you know, first of all, when he made contact with me after leaving my life, his first contact he made with me was through prison. So my mom never moved from the apartment we was in, so he used to write letters um, to that same address. And I, my mom used to tell me, but I never wanted to read it. So she had like a box, you know, that she would keep the letters in and stuff like that um, because I had no interest. I'm like, I've never, I haven't seen this man in almost, um, you know, a good number of years. Like, why would I want to be interested in what he has to say through prison, you know? So I just, I never paid attention to them. And... When my father, um, to fast forward, because you might have questions later on, so I don't want to, but fast forward, when my father um, came out of prison, somewhere in his life, he then began to get clean off of, he was addicted to crack. So he began to get clean, and he began to want to be a part of my life. And that was a struggle. So fast forward, um, I kind of like, you know, allowed me to get to a place where I can forgive him but still I had these letters that I never really read, right? So I had to get to a place where he, where I forgive him, and then we were able to reconcile a relationship. And then six, about six years after we really was getting close, my father passed away. And then that's when I went back to read the letters that he had written to me from prison. And that's a lot of how, you know, the, the art of him being a poet and me seeing how he expressed his love for me through his words, right? So as I was reading those words, it was birthed in this book because the words, although we had that relationship that we were able to reconcile, um, some of the things that was in the letters he still hadn't said to me. So when I was mm. reading them on paper and his words, it was really affirming me as his daughter and affirming me as a woman, you know, it was affirming me. It was telling me how much he loved me, how great I am, how unique I am, how I was born, how I came into this world, how he was processing it. It was telling me so much about myself. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And that's really, once I read all of that, it's really how I felt my voice. And that's why I put my father's letter that he wrote to me as the cover of my book. Because that, that letter on that book, that's the main letter that really um, affirmed me as his child and as a daughter that he loved and affirmed me as a woman, knowing if my father 
feels about feels this way about me and this how he sees me, then I'm not to take nothing less than this. You know, this is my value here. So he, he placed value on me as his daughter and, and also as a woman. So I wanted to kind of like paint that, that picture and share that story through a poetic way by responding to his letters that I never responded to when he was writing them. So the book is a poetic memoir of a dialogue between me and those letters and, and responding to them as if um, I was responding to them at that time. Wow. Oh, my God. What a blessing, though. You know, if you stumble <laughs> across letters or something, if everybody, because a lot of people have, and they, you, you carry it if you don't process it, unhealed things with their parents, their grandparents, somebody in their past, and it, it, you might get real busy when you're young and it comes back in your 40s and 50s and you're like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. what is going on in my life? Because there's something you didn't process. But to have those letters that you can return mm -hmm. to again and again and again, oh, what a, I mean, that is like a huge, huge blessing. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you think when you first, so how, I wanted to ask you, how were you when your father you, he first went out of your life and how were you when he came back in? And why do you think you initially responded to his letters and poems with anger? Um, my father was around four or five when I left. Like, him and my mom was married, right? That also did something for me because it showed me, okay, he was a man that, you know, honored Matt. Well, he wanted to marry, right? Even though my mom had five kids, I was the last one. Um, so it showed that he placed some type of value on commitment and marriage. So that, you know, helped me even understand that process of how marriage is honorable in a way. But he left when I was five. Um, he left the house when I was around four or five years old, like straight left. Like, and I talk about that in my book. I, I remember that day, and I was that young. I rem that day that he walked out is so vivid to where I see the picture of it. I remember it like it was yesterday. That's how um, impacted I was by it, and that's how I knew that it, it, it affected the, trend, um, the direction of my life. So he left when I was five, took everything, and I didn't see him. We didn't know where he was at. Um, we didn't know nothing about, you know, where he was at. And then he came, he contacted us and came back. Maybe I was around 14-ish. I want to say maybe 13 it could have been 13 or going on 14. And I guess he wasn't fully clean yet, like off of the drugs, but he was struggling with probably getting clean because he came back, and I'll never forget, he promised me some skates. And I wanted some white roller skates with pink wheels. And I, I knew he asked me, what do you want, you know? And I said, I want some white roller skates, you know. And he said, okay, I'm going to get you some skates, and I've never seen him again. So it was like a, a double a double hitting of like, okay, it's been this long. It's been almost um, 10 years that I haven't heard from you. Then you come back, you pop back up, and you promise me skate, and then I don't hear from you again. So I haven't, since that age of like 13, he didn't make contact again until I was about in high school, around 17, maybe 18 years old. But at that point, I was already turned off because I felt like it was another coming in and out, and I wasn't trying to um, relive that. So um, those things is what made me angry. So when I wrote my book, when I was responding to those letters, I had to, and I think that was part of my healing process, and, and God is so, like, graceful because I had to go back to that moment, those moments, and process those feelings so that I can kind of, like, um, deal with whatever was still lingering there. Because although we had a relationship before he died, when I started to write the book after he died, there were still some things of trauma and um, some unforgiveness that was still there. So I had to take myself back to really process those raw emotions and let them out in a way. And that's why I initially started with the anger because that's how, you know, I felt at that time because I felt like, you know, you kept coming in and going out. So you kept sowing the seed of rejection and abandonment in me and, you know, that made me angry. It made me feel like the, the first man that I supposed to love me and supposed to be committed, you know, to this relationship with, with his daughter was the first man that was lying and, and coming in and out of my life, you know. So I had to respond initially with this book with that first raw emotion um, that was crippling me, which was the anger. 
Oh my God, I can see where you're this uh, the book. And for our listeners who might just have joined, which we're interviewing Michelle Brown, and one of the books she's written too that we're talking about right now is Finding My Voice Through the Words of My Father. I, I can see how you, your story can help a lot of people to process things and heal. Maybe if it's not with a parent, it could be somebody in their life who really mm-hmm. did something wrong to them uh, when they were a child, and you, they, you've got to process it. And it, and 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 particularly, you come across. In in this interview, as very honest, if the writing is very honest, that helps a person to get through that raw emotion in themselves mm-hmm. as well, where it can really help somebody to heal. So, uh, and and briefly, can you tell us? And everybody's different. Everybody's different. You go to the doctor for an illness. You might what works for one might not work for the other. So, can you tell us about the process for you? Uh, because there are millions of people d- dealing with something that happened in their, in their childhood. Can you tell us about the process of learning to forgive your father? What what, what works for you? Mm-hmm. Well, um, when I learned, how, the funny thing is like, um, and I, I have to say like God started this work in me before I was committed to God himself, right? So he knew the plans that he had for me. So he started the process around that time when I was, like, 21 years old, right, I was doing my thing. I was, like, you know, um, you know, I got into my first abusive relationship when I was 18, right? And the thing about my father is, like I said, he was married to my mom, but he was extremely abusive, both physically, mentally, and emotionally to my mom. A lot of the abuse I didn't remember because I was young. Remember, he left around I was five. But I internalized it because I ended up, having a, a a boyfriend at that first time when I was 18, like my father. So um, although I didn't re- recall seeing it, it was still um, part of um, my trauma, right? So he was very abusive um, towards my mom. And I remember uh, in my first abusive relationship, because I used to always say, because I heard the stories from my siblings and, you know, some from my mom of the things that horrible things my father did, Right. Um, so I would always say, like, oh, I don't want to be like that. Like, I'm not getting a man like that or nothing like that. And the first um, um, relationship that I really had that, you know, was abusive was when I was 18 years old. So I couldn't understand how did I end up with somebody. And the crazy thing is that, you know, I won't say his last name, but his first name was Michael. So the crazy thing, he had the same name, first name as my father. So that's how... You know, you know, trauma and those spirits, you know, can travel. So I was like, oh, my God, like, how did I find myself in this type of relationship? So what did I do? I got even more angry at my father um, because, remember, he tried to come back into my life around 18 again, but then I was like, I'm not entertaining it. So I got even more angry because I felt like although I didn't tell anyone what I was going through at the time, right, because I was traveling back and forth from college, so I was – I was staying on campus for a year, so every weekend I would travel back um, to New York, um, to the city, and be with the guy and stuff like that. So I was going through abuse when nobody really knew, you know? But I was internally, I was being so angry at my father because I was in something that was like him, yet I wasn't telling him what I was in. It was crazy, right? So um, once I realized that it was something that I was mimicking that my parents had, um, I got enough sense to then open up my mouth and I began to, a big incident happened and that's how my family found out, right? So I began to leave that, I left that relationship three years um, into it and I started to notice, um, and this was in around 21, 22, I was graduating college. So this is when I started to know from my inner heart, right, because my father around 19 maybe, um, my father, 18 or 19, somewhere along there, I could be wrong with the, with the years, but my father uh, wanted to have the conversation, and I wanted to have the conversation. And this moment, I was like, yes, like this is a moment where I'm going to just cut him up. I'm going to just throw every blow. I'm going to make him feel like nothing. I'm going to attack him because I had all this anger in me from him leaving. So when we met in his house, it was a small apartment in Harlem, and he had, like, a studio, and we sat there on, I sat on the couch, he sat in the chair in front of me, and I began to ask him, why did you leave? And at this time, throughout this conversation, I was hitting him with every blow. 
I was making him feel less than. I was like, you know, um, you know what I was going. Did you realize what I went through? Why did you do this to mommy? Like all this stuff, I was just attacking him, attacking him, like very disrespectful. I was very condescending, very disrespectful, and within me having that conversation, my father started to cry, and I, I was, it caught me by surprise because I said. I was saying, like, why isn't he really saying anything? He's, he didn't make any excuse. He didn't say, no, I didn't. He said, I apologize, and I'm so sorry. And he said, can you just forgive me because I want to be there for you now. Like, I want to be a part of you now. And this man could not stop crying. And something about him, I see that he was different from the man that visited me when I was 13 and promised me those skates. So I was like, no, this time he's honest he's being real he's not going to leave again like it just gripped me and I said this my, my dad wants to be here so I processed that I didn't tell him what I was processing but my attitude my tone and my actions um died down right I became calm and I became relaxed but I still didn't tell him what I was processing and what I knew to be true was that he wanted to stick around right so after I processed all of that, around 21 years old, when I was graduating college, and then I got out of that relationship, because I was still in that relationship when I had that conversation, although he didn't know, right, what I was going through. So after I, when I was graduating college, I said, I want my dad there. Like, I need my dad at my college graduation. Like, this is big for me. I'm graduating from Fordham University. I want him to be there. Like, I need my dad there, and I wanted him there. Like, part of me wanted to have him there. So I remember inviting him to my graduation, and at that moment, it was like I was, like, on the red carpet in his eyes. And, like, it was a moment where I caught him pausing and really looking at me. And he had this camera with the, the thing around his neck and a big, you know, professional camera. And, like, he was <laughs> looking at me. And it felt like I was, like, you know, star in his eyes. And I caught that moment, and that was a moment that shifted our whole relationship even though I never told him, like, some things that I was feeling vulnerable, I never told him. I just let my actions speak, right? And then it's like, wow, like, look how he's taking pictures of me. Like, look at how he's looking at me, right? And then I said, I want my dad. And I just began to let the walls come down and begin mm -hmm. to have that open up that relationship with him. And I, it was slow because, again, it, we had six years of real you know, building and being strong before he died in 2011. But I began to let him in, if that makes sense, and began to form to so much so that he taught me how to drive. Like, something wow. that he probably should have taught me as a teenager, he taught me in my 20s, you know? And I'm like, he caught up with time a little bit. He taught me how to drive. He taught me how to change tires. Like, when I would get up my battery, he would teach me about the battery. Like, I allowed him to be a dad to me, although I was an adult woman, if that makes sense. So I allow him space for that to, to, to come in and, and, and be a father to me and make up for, for time. And then, um, you know, that's what made me really want to walk through that journey of not only forgiveness, but the forgiveness then translated into the reconciliation, which was a beautiful oh, what a blessing! Oh, my goodness. And you know what? You had no idea at the time that he was going to pass when he did, but you really mm -hmm. let yourself be healed. Yeah, oh my mm -hmm. goodness! Oh my goodness! What a blessing! You not only for your father but for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. So, what other what other topics or life situations, two or three, do you cover uh, in finding my voice through the words of my father? You cover the graduation um, scene. What other situations? <laughs> yeah, the graduation. The yeah, the graduation poem is there. So the main if if when you open up the book, I start out with a poem to kind of like point the chapters, um, you know, point the sections, rather, of the book that I'm, I'm covering. So I, I cover, like, love, about how um, I didn't feel love, how I was, you know, created in love because they were married and, you know, but I didn't feel it. Then I covered um, identity, right, like how my father named me, and I kind of, like, cover that, like, identity. Then I cover, like, neglect. I talk about the neglect in a poetic way and how I deal with the neglect. Then I cover pain, right, because all these things are stuff sometimes, you know, that hinders you forgiving someone, right? So I cover pain. And then I cover, like, um, the storms of life, like how hope um, allowed me to weather the storm. Then I cover forgiveness, which I talk about how God helped me get to that place 
of really forgiving my father because the bigger picture of my book is that um, God wanted me because I, I had, you know, begin to form a relationship with Christ in my early 20s, and I dedicated myself to the Lord, but then I, I slipped back and went back to living in sin and living in the world and all that stuff. So when that happened um, in January of 2020, I recommitted myself back to Christ, and it was through Christ that I was able to birth, like, this book because it was like, okay, although I always wanted to write a book, um, because I have so many poems, it was a, it was the Holy Spirit that said to write this book because this was so pivotal mm. to my healing. So in 2020, I covered one of the books. Is, I mean, one of the um, sections is forgiveness, and it says forgiveness gave me my voice. So um, the Lord allowed me in 2020 when I recommitted myself back to Christ, he allowed me to see that I still was holding on to unforgiveness not so much of the residue from my dad, but from myself. Like, I never looked at it as I did not forgive myself. And I said, when the Holy Spirit was showing me that, I was like, how did I forgive myself? I opened up to my dad. Like, you know, I was there. Like, how did I? And he said, and I processed it, and it was like I had guilt of not forgiving my dad sooner because I felt like he was snatched away just when it was getting good. So I was like, for for those years, I couldn't process. Before I recommitted myself back to Christ, I couldn't process that. Um, I couldn't process that I should have um, forgiven him sooner. Like I kept beating myself up with it. Like why was, did you waste so much time? He could, you could have had so much more. You could have learned so much more. You could have told him so much more. So the Holy Spirit brought that back to me and said, now you got to forgive yourself. Because what he was doing was closing this chapter for me so that then he can now be my father, you know, because what did it for me, because the Bible said when your mother and father leaves you, the Lord will raise you up. So I could not keep holding on to the absence of my father, even in his death. So the Lord had to show me this is the book I need you to write because this is the book that's going to heal you, and this is the book that you're closing this chapter so that now I can father you. And when he did that for me, my heart, like I said in the, in the poem of the book, I said forgiveness gave me my voice and turned my cold heart warm. Like my heart then became warm and it made it more easy for me to walk in. Because I wrote my story is about forgiveness because I believe the Lord wants me to know how to even walk in forgiveness in life, right? Like we got to walk in forgiveness so we can continue to thrive. So yeah. he let me see that this is going to be a lifestyle for you. And, and, and I'm so glad that, that I got that, you know, healing and direct, um, like, uh, uh, ministering word from the Holy Spirit because it's easy for me to – if I can forgive my father that wasn't there, that lied, that abandoned, that abused, that did all this traumatic stuff and reconcile with him and walk through, you know, walk through that, I could forgive the friend that betrayed me. I could forgive the man that, that may say bad words to me. I could forgive the, the, the person that may bump me in the sword. Like, that becomes easy, right? So I feel like God, like, kind of wanted forgiveness to be in my DNA so that I can, you know, continue to thrive. Because that's the thing, if I, at the back of the book, that's what I say. Like, Dad, as the sun shines and flowers bloom, my warm heart fills this room. Our story of forgiveness and reconciliation is written for the world to know. I am ready to blossom. I am ready to grow. So I believe (laughs) forgiveness is what helps me grow every day because I always say if I can forgive him and this is my father, the one that birthed, the one that created you, the one that, you know, if I can forgive him, I can forgive anybody. (laughs) Like Mm. nobody can hurt me like how my father did and I can forgive that. So I try to be reminded by my books, both my e-book and this book, to walk in forgiveness and forgive, like, quickly. Yes, you know, that sets us free when we forgive. When we don't forgive, we still bound ourselves. Now, mm-hmm. thinking again, thinking about a, a listener who might be listening from the United States or another country, and they may mm-hmm. be going through something, and they're not, and maybe they're not where you are right now. They might be where you used to be. Uh, do mm-hmm. you think, as you did poetry, do you think, like, art, it could be singing, dancing, poetry, working with uh, painting, do you think that is a, a, an effective or helpful way for for youth to express themselves and work through 
not just forgiveness, but there are a lot of young people who might be dealing with getting bullied, they, uh, uh, jealousy, but any type of hurt, anger, jealousy, mm-hmm. insecurity. Do you think working in the arts is an effective way for young folks to express themselves and work through these things? Absolutely. I absolutely do think. I think that God gives us, um, like, talents, right, and poetry and writing. I think writing, especially painting, like you said, he gives us the, the arts, right? And I believe, for me, my art happened, or my talent happened to be the poetry that allowed me to write myself out of what I was experiencing. So I definitely think that writing it, um, and even in my book, I have, like, an impromptu in the back of the book of um, um, space to write and answer certain questions to process your feelings, right? Even when I think of, you know, um, you know, even when I think of, you know, the Bible, like God, you know, inspired these men to write. Like even with David, David was a poet. Like he wrote Psalms. Like Psalms is like a beautiful um, way to to write poetry and read it, and, and you see how he processes his his feelings, his emotions, his upsets, his trauma, his everything. David, you know, wrote. So I think poetry definitely in the arts is an escape way, and I think that it's something that helps you process it. Because I know even when I write now, or if I write something that I'm going through, when I go back and I read it, after I write it, I'm able to process that feeling. I'm able to process where is that coming from? Like, where is that stemming from? Why are you feeling like this? Or what's drawing this? And then you can a- attack it or you can address it or confront it however you need to um, once you write it down and then reread it to yourself, right? So I think poetry is, is good. Painting is good. Um, even um, sports, right? Like sometimes, you know, these outlets is good to help us um, process or help us release what it is that we're going through. But my, you know, preference of choice happens to be writing and, um, you know, poetry if, if you're gifted in that. And poetry don't have to rhyme. I just happen to like making it rhyme. <laughs> but it don't have to rhyme. Now, when you, look yeah. back over, when you look back over your life, Michelle, you know, we, we and mothers do so much and down, down through history, but I, I was raised, my mother passed by my father. He raised all five of us. So my dad is like, like a hero to me. But when you look back over your life uh, and the different women and men, boys and girls you met when you were young and then as a woman, do you think fathers realize just how important they are in their children's lives? Sometimes I think men think, oh, my mom raised us by herself, so if if he leaves the mother of his kids, she can raise the kid. They are. A, a, do you think, I think fathers are just as absolutely necessary as a mother. And I could think that, too, because my dad raised all five of us. But do you think fathers think they, do they really realize how important they are in their children's lives? I don't think, not all fathers. Some do, right, because there's some great fathers out there, you know, like um, some do, but I think um, not all. And I think especially when you're dealing with a parent or, or a father that has an addiction, right, because my father was addicted to drugs, so he could not have seen um, the effects or he wasn't in a place um, mentally to see how important he was. But I find it, I find it so, um, I find it so, like, um, not sad, I don't want to say sad, but disappointing that the, the drugs that he was on did hinder him because when he was sober and he wrote, these letters, you can see how he knew how important it was to love me, right? Because he was writing me these letters from jail. So I think some fathers, depending on the circumstances, depending on what they're up against, and even depending on, because I, re- I learned that my father had trauma. My father had an abusive father. My father had a father that was an alcoholic. So it, it all depends on that upbringing and how they process the trauma. Because some fathers, um, had trauma, but they, like, make sort of like a vow that they're not going to be the father to their children that their father was. So they turn out to be um, great fathers in in that sense. So I think it depends on, you know, what the father is up against and, you know, what's impairing, you know, his thought process to really understand um, how that relationship, you know, affects their daughter so much. Um, and that's why I wrote this book, because I want to have that, those conversations. Because I think that a lot of times with women, like a lot of our hurts, a lot of our pains, our spirit of rejection and, you know, neglecting all that, 
a lot of times, oftentimes, it comes from the relationship that we first had with a man, which, which is our father. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that that conversation has to be necessary because even if you start to, I don't know if you um, heard, but like a couple of months back, you start to see um, celebrities come forth about their father relationships. Like I think Kelly Rowland, like she did an interview where she recently um, accepted her father, you know, into her life. Um, the girl, the other girl from um, um, Destiny Child, I think, uh, the old member, she also came forth within the last year of how she had to open up to forgive her father. To let, so I think that no matter how successful you become as a woman or no matter how unsuccessful, whatever it is, I think that that relationship that you have with your father can um, um, dictate how your other relationships are, whether it's good or bad. So I think if it was something that was traumatic, that these conversations are needed, right, but with the understanding that you may not get the reconciliation, right? You may not get that, but you still have to be able to get to a place where you forgive and move on. And I think me, I was that's why with my ebook, um, How to Open a Door for Love, I had to deal with the the anger, I had to deal with the um the burst of anger, I had to deal with the impulsiveness of being um like petty, I had to deal with me keeping a list of the offenses, like how I still remember that I needed, he promised me white skates and pink roller, uh, pink um, wheels. Like I was keeping track of the offenses, right? So that means I was holding on to that unforgiveness. I had to deal with that and I had to um, um, process it and, and let it come out, you know? So I think sometimes women get successful, but they suppress the trauma because they um, replace it with the fact that, oh, I turned out well, you know, I'm a millionaire, or oh, I turned out well, um, you know, I made, made a name for myself, or oh, I turned out well, I, I'm educated, you know, but not wanting to deal with that trauma of, you know, how it's really affecting you being who you should be as a person thriving. Like, you have to deal with it to close those doors. You can't suppress it because it, it's going to come out in another way if you don't heal those old wounds. So I mm. think the conversation is necessary. Yeah, and that is so true. You said it's going to come out some other way if you don't heal those old wounds. That is so, so, so true. What have Before we talk about your next book, what have readers been saying about finding my voice through the words of my father? Well, you've been hearing from readers about the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of testimonials, too, on my website. But what I've been hearing was that um, it really helped them um, identify, like one of my uh, uh, person, a friend of mine that read the book, she said her father was present, right? He was around, but he wasn't present, right? He wasn't present. And she didn't realize, although she, she was seeing it as my father always been there, she didn't realize until after reading my book that, um, that she had issues that she didn't deal with with her father or that had – she realized that the decision that she was making in men was because of the things that she didn't process with her relationship with her father. So she was making bad decisions with men. Um, another uh, testimonial I received about the book is that um, uh, one of my friends also said that the book helped him, as a being a father himself, the book helped him realize how much my father did love me through the letters that he's written to me. So he said the book helped me help him realize how how much of an impact that a father does make on um, their daughter. How how much of it being expressed, you know, makes a difference. Um, another person said um, that my book remind them of like um, the story, like a, a you know that song um, of Nat King Cole and her father when they were singing to each other. He said when he read my book, the dialogue between me and my father is like, you know, we're singing um, a, 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 singing a duet, like it, the dialogue and how it just flows and how I just respond. Um, he said that that touched him. So, and some people also realized that it, it was a healing thing for him, that it made them, it forced them to go back, even with the impromptus in the book, it forced them to go back and, um, you know, ask themselves those questions. Like, Daddy, you know, confront it, even writing it down. Like, you hurt me when you did this. You hurt me when you did that. Another person said she, too, her father was dead. And I said, wow, her father died, and he, too, wrote her letters. And this book made her go and read some of those letters. And I was like, wow. I was like, wow, and help her to, to process some of the pain. 
So it's definitely um, bringing up some stuff from the overall uh, um, testimonials. It's bringing up some stuff of wounds that people haven't healed that should be healed so that they can move move forward and be more um, thriving. You know, so that's what I that's some of and brief of what feedback that I you know was receiving. And what a blessing. So it's blessing people. Now, you also wrote another book about forgiveness, forgiveness, and it's titled Forgiveness, How to Open the Door for for Love. Do you think, Mm -hmm. Michelle, that we're aware that when you get upset, you hold forgiveness, you hold a grievance, do you think we're aware that we're actually, you think we're, like you said, you was ready to to pounce on your day, you was ready when you met in the the studio apartment. Do you think we are aware when we're holding on to unforgiveness, that we're actually shutting ourselves off from, from, from a very good life when we choose to not to forgive. Maybe we're not even aware that we're doing that. Do you think that we are aware that that's what's happening? I agree. I don't think we're aware. You know why? Because for me, it was a survival method. It was like survival, like it was a survival tactic for me. Unforgiveness I thought was a good thing. And it's crazy to say it like that, but I really did because it was the way I protected myself from being hurt again, right? So it was the way I survived. So when, it, when something is a way you survive, you're not aware that the thing that you're thinking is helping you to survive is the very mm. thing that's causing you not to live, right? So I knew for me for a long time, I'm like, I thought I was good, like, when he tried to come back, and I was like, I ain't trying to talk to him. Like, I'm, I'm thinking I'm good, right, because I'm not allowing him back in. But I'm really not, like, I'm really hurting myself. So you're not aware because it's a, a tool. Unforgiveness is so um, planted and strategic by the enemy, right, that he presents it as if it's a way to help you cope and it's a way to protect you and it's a way for you to survive. It's a way for you to not have to address reality. Like, he paints this as unforgiveness as a good way to escape and to survive. And, and and that's the trickery of it all because that very thing that you think is helping you is really hurting you. So I think people are not aware until someone that went through it speak up more, right, and let people know. And my my specific situation happened to be with a father the father daughter relationship. But I think it takes one that had so so much unforgiveness or so had it so strong to then come and say, I can relate. Like, I know that you want to punch this person in the face. I know that you want to go and choke this friend that backstab you. And, you know, I know, like, I can relate. Like, but let me show you a better way. Let me show you, you know, another way on how to do this. Let me show you how these are symptoms and signs that we're really sick, right? We're really sick when we're not forgiven because it then eats at us, even in physical, spiritual, it eats at everything, you know, in us, that unforgiveness, because it always results in bitterness, results in, you know, um, you being, like, angry. Like, it, it, it manifests itself. So I think people are not aware, but I think people can come aware when people um, speak up and be real and raw, and that's why I, I, I love how God allowed me to write this book. It's raw emotion. Like, people got to know that you really experienced something, and they don't need the cookie cut away. They need to know how you really was processing it when it was going down, right, and how, mm-hmm. you know, God helped you come out of that. So I feel like they're not aware until you make them, until you try to help them make them aware and show them, like, the signs of it, but show them for a way to be transparent that you too have have done it. Because if, if it's not somebody that that went through it and now they can forgive, um, what happened is unforgiveness breeds unforgiveness. So you start to click with people that think that it's okay to walk mm. around with grudges. It's okay to walk around with anger and beat somebody up or be offensive with your mouth, with your words. Like you, it starts to group itself until somebody that came through it can say no no like there's a better way and 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 the beautiful thing about forgiving somebody is that they don't even have to know that you did it (laughs) right right they don't have to know right like you would want you know ideally you would want to um, go to that person and say I forgive you but you that's not the requirement the requirement is to truly in your heart say you know what I forgive this person because it's a decision so you make that decision say, I forgive this person because I notice every time this person's name come up, I get angry. Every time this person walks around me or every time I get, I get vexed, that's not healthy, right? So you have to be able to make that decision. And the beautiful thing, it doesn't have nothing to do 
with them necessarily, right? It would be beautiful if you can reconcile, but that's not the mandate. The mandate is to fix that heart. It's that heart issue, right? You got to fix that heart and you got to be able to forgive so that yourself can begin healing and can then again thrive. So I think to answer your question, and I probably repeated it again, but I think that you're not aware that it's, 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 it's happening or it's not good for you, but you can become aware if someone helps you see it. Wow. I mean, I can hear <laughs> your experience. You could be used to help help so many people. That said, do you, like, do you conduct forgiveness workshops? And if you don't now, is it something that you plan to do? <laughs> Listen, listen, um, Denise, God has really been speaking to me like he, this interview right here is like a reviving of this story is not finished. Because you know how sometimes we write things and we do things and then we move on, but this interview was a sign that, no, God wants us to keep going forward. Because two things he told me about both of these pieces when I was writing them, the Holy Spirit said that these are timeless pieces. Mind you, I wrote this book two years ago. I wrote both of these two years ago. So he showed, He said, these are timeless. I'm giving you something timeless. So those are things that, you know, I want to do. I think that he's doing something. He's going to do something different with this free ebook because this, this book is a downloadable ebook that's free. But I don't know how long it's going to be free because he's definitely showing me that he wants to expand uh, what I'm doing. So I'm just seeking, you know, some guidance, you know, from the Holy Spirit and trying to see, you know, the strategy with how he wants me to move forward we're expanding this and being more of a resource, whether it's an e-course, uh, whether it's a, 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 a class, a couple of sets, something. But I definitely know what you just said is some confirmation that you want me to do more than just have it um, up here as an e-book. Now, now it's, I wanted just a few other questions, but uh, quickly, uh, mm-hmm. how can we use our authentic voice? You said, you know, you got to be real, and that's a thing. You, so people who are really feeling what you used to feel. Maybe you've come through it, but they're feeling it hard. Then you have to really express so they can connect with you and, and see that, yeah, you did go through it. Whoever, and we've all gone through something that we can help each mm-hmm. other with. But how can we use our authentic voice to share our personal stories, and everybody has one, to help others? Mm-hmm. This is what helped me, right? I said, God, like, um, he anoints, like, he blesses um, those that are authentic, right, those that are honest, like, he stamps them, because there's a transparency that the Holy Spirit wants you to walk in so that others can be healed, right? So so that's one way, like, you got to pray and you got to ask God to, to, to break you free from any shame, break you free from the fear of man, break you free from the opinions of others, break you free from what somebody may think, break you free of thinking you're going to fail. You have to speak, you have to really pray and, and say, listen, I want to be free of this so that I can share my story, right? And then you have to understand that when you're transparent, right, no one can really um, come and say anything about you to put you, like, back in bondage because you already said it, right? So you already, I already said my dad was a crackhead. I already said that I grew up in poverty. I already said that my mother was a, a victim of domestic violence. I already said that I was in a domestic abusive relationship. I already said that I was angry. I already said that, I, you know what I'm trying to say? So you, you take the power out of people when you allow yourself to be transparent enough to know that you can't, narrate my story and you can't hinder me because that's what the enemy does. He wants you to walk in condemnation, wants you to walk in shame. So I think being authentic, once you, 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 you pray and you say, break me free from all that stuff that I mentioned so that I can tell my story. Once you get to that place of being broken free and now you're ready to walk authentically, it's sort of like your audience is going to find you right? Because they're going to hear the sound of what you're talking about, and it's going to resonate with them, and they're going to begin to locate you, right? So, for instance, I, I've never, you know, heard of your podcast or your radio show, right, Mr. Needs? You contacted me, and you said, I heard of you from the book fair. So, it's like, when you're telling your story, and when you, you, you allowing God to use you in places, your audience will locate you, so you don't have to worry about um, when you walk in authenticity, okay, who is, um, where do I go? Where do, you just share. You just tell your authentic story as your authentic self, and the sound will release out, 
and people will begin to locate you and find you because why? People want realness. People want to be want, want to know real deal. They want to know the raw. They want to know, and they also want to know there is a way out. You don't have to. So I think authentic. God loves authenticity. He He never made none of us to be copycats. He never made none of us to mimic somebody else. He blesses us and you know marks us when we're authentic because that's when he can use us to bring true healing to somebody else. So I think once you start to view authenticity and transparency as a blessing, you'll be more free to, to live in your truth and to share your story so that others can be healed. Mm, now, if somebody wanted you to speak at an event they were having or, um, or an event, what type of topics do you speak on? And if you do do public speaking, how could they uh, – reach out to you if they wanted you to speak at an event they were holding. Yes, they can um, contact me. They can visit my website, too, at www.michelleubrown.com. And on my website, I have, like, a speaker sheet, um, and you can see the topics that I, you know, cover, which is forgiveness and which is finding your voice. So some of the topics I cover with forgiveness is how to identify unforgiveness, um, how to forgive um, um, reconciliation within the father-daughter relationship. So those are three topics that I like to talk about. And then finding your voice is another topic which I like to cover, which is um, overcoming abandonment and discovering your identity in Christ using your authentic voice to share your story. So that's what I like. My, my You know, when I first started, that's why I titled the book this um, Finding My Voice because I believe that us as women, um, there's a voice on the inside of us, you know, that, that needs to be heard that needs to be um, spoken. And I think once we find that voice, because it's going to come from, like you said, Denise, from being authentic. So once you're able to um, be okay with who you are and your story and accept the fact that all these things went on, but they can be used to help somebody, once you're able to, to walk in that identity, you're able to then use that authentic voice to share your story and impact others. So those are topics that I like to cover and speak about. And you can contact me, um, you know, at my email address, which is michelle at michelleubrown.com. Um, and, you know, on my website, and it, like I said, there's a speaker sheet that goes into, you know, um, the topics I cover and a little bit more about me and a testimonial and all that kind of um, good stuff. <laughs> and also, are you working on any new books? And if so, can you give us like a brief, we got about three minutes left, a brief glimpse into what you're working on? Um, not just yet, but I have an idea. I did draft the idea and I outlined. Um, so something is going to come um, eventually. Uh, I don't want to say just yet, but um, something I am working on a new book. Um, and like I said, God keeps pushing me and nudging me like, come on, you got to keep moving forward with this. So something is coming, um, coming out. Um, Eventually, I do have the outline already prepared. I just not didn't put it, you know, to a manuscript uh, just yet. Um, but he is allowing me to kind of like revive, keep going with this this thing. Like he's not finished with it. Okay. <laughs> and where can listeners get it. copies of your books, Michelle? Listen, go. I would prefer it's on Amazon, but I would prefer every author that's self-published. Let me tell y'all a secret. We want y'all to purchase from our website. We know Amazon is great because it's easy for you to get it quickly. They have it. But please, purchase my book from my website because it will get you a signed copy. I will autograph it for you, and I may put a little note in there, you know, depending on how many orders come in. But purchase my book on my website because you get it personally from me, and then I'll ship it out to you. So if you go to my website and you click on the shop, um, you can purchase my book there. And I also have merchandise. I don't want to forget my T-shirts. If you want, you know, T-shirts, um, you know, if you're a, play, a person that's about to share your story or you, you're walking in your authentic voice, I have a T-shirt that's called our Speaker Tea, which is find your voice, share your story, and speak your sound. That's a popular one for those that's walking in their authentic voice. So go visit my website. I encourage you all to go to my website. You can go to my Instagram um, page as well. You can find me on Instagram. Um, and you can find me on Facebook. <laughs> you can find me on TikTok. Like, so my website will take you there. But I want you to get my book from my website, please, 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 because then I can send it to you directly. And, of course, as a self-published author, we get more money, and it's just business, right? We get more money um, when you purchase directly from us 
than when you purchase it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. So please purchase it from my site, and I will ship it out to you with a signed copy. Okay. Okay, she's going to autograph it, you guys. We've had the pleasure <laughs> to have Michelle Brown on here. She's just a poet and empowerment speaker, and she has a passion for helping others. She has a bachelor's uh, degree in business administration from Fordham University. She's mom to a wonderful 12-year-old son. And the, the two books, our two books titles are Finding My Voice Through the Words of My Father and Forgiveness, How to Open the Door for Love. Again, her website is MichelleUBrown.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-U-B-R-O-W-N.com. Again, that's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-U-B-R-O-W-N.com. So we want to thank Michelle for taking time out of her day to be with her, be with us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And I encourage you, if you are dealing with unforgiveness or trauma, to get a copy of one of her books. And, again, you can get it through her website, MichelleUBrown.com. And thank you to all our listeners who tune in from all over the world. As I always tell you, you are awesome. You're incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will have another awesome guest on deck for you. Michelle, I'll send you a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Okay. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.